episode 182 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Pilot the Pilot is brought to you by Garmin Aviation. Garmin has solutions for all aircraft from the latitude I fly to your general aviation or business aircraft. Check them out and see how you can get more out of flying with Garmin. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. The Ground School app contains knowledge and skill videos. Check it out today at learnthefinerpoints.com. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today's podcast is with Joe Costanza. Joe is a J3 Cub pilot. He is a Spirit Airlines pilot, and he also has one of the coolest Instagram accounts you will find right now. His name is Bananas, and I emphasize the S nine times because, yes, he has nine S's in his Instagram name. It's pretty crazy. Go check him out. He posts great content in the J3 Cub, Flying for Spirit, and just an awesome account overall. You will enjoy your time watching it. Avionation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check out Pilot's Coffee on Instagram and the website pilotscoffee.com and also give a follow to Pilot the Pilot. I won't keep you much longer, so without any further ado, here's Joe Costanza. Hi, my name is Joe. I am a, uh, a 1941 J3 Cub owner as well as a father of four and an Airbus captain for uh, everybody's favorite airline, Spirit. Joe, what's going on, man? Welcome to take two of our podcast. We just recorded like 30 minutes of it and the whole file was corrupted. Uh, There's smoke coming out of everything. It was burned down my whole apartment. You know, it was crazy. Uh, That didn't really happen, but the whole file was corrupted and now we have to start all over again. So you're a champ for uh, putting up with me in these technical difficulties, but welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. I I appreciate it. It was so good. We had to do it all again. (laughs) (laughs) well cool man well i do the same thing for every episode uh you've already been asked this question once but we're doing it again why aviation what was the original inspiration for you to become a pilot i think uh the original inspiration for me is probably similar to a lot of people um you know when you're a little kid and you see an airplane you kind of stop what you're doing and look up uh, and and your parents notice that and they know that you take an interest in aviation and that kind of started it for me um I'd seen an airplane, I'd, I'd stop, I'd look at it, or I would be driving to my grandmother's uh, who lived in Jersey City, so we'd always pass Newark Airport on the on the turnpike, and that would probably be uh, my favorite part of the trip, is I'd look out the window and see, uh, there was always a DHL 727 that was parked on the ramp there, and I'd see uh, the Continental airplanes taking off, and that's that was kind of how I got sucked into aviation. That's uh yeah, like you said, there are a lot of people that look up and see, and they just see the marvelous flying and kind of just fall in love with the magic of it. Uh, did you have anyone in your family that could help kind of guide you around this path? Did you have anyone that was interested in aviation, or were you kind of on your own and uh, blazing your own trail? Yeah, it's kind of on my own. My my family is not really; they don't really take too well to flying. Um, my one of my sisters is actually deathly afraid of flying. Uh, but my, my father knew that I, I wanted to fly, so he kind of helped uh, pursue it with me, um, mostly financially, but uh, he supported me in it. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty much the only one in my extended family as well that, that flies the airplane, so it is interesting. So was that hard for your whole family to kind of wrap their mind around this? Be like, you want to be a pilot when we all hate flying? Or are they all kind of like, yeah, Joe, do your thing, bro. Just don't ever put me in an airplane. Yeah, I mean, they, they were all pretty cool with it, but I do remember... Um, when I came back from the, the small airport that my dad took me to the first time I ever saw small airplanes, we came back home and my mom was like, Oh, where were you guys? And she told my father told her where we were. And she was, you know, she was not pleased. I think I was 14 or 15 at the time. And she was just, she was not happy. Oh, uh, I would not want to be your dad that day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's good that he stuck up for your dream though. And, uh, kind of yeah. made it and he was able to help you make it happen. Yeah, definitely. So like you said, a lot of people look up at aviation and they think it's really cool and they want to be a pilot, but little, like not a little amount of those people actually go and become a pilot. You know, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, hurdles to cross and it seems a lot harder to get into actual flying. People make excuses whether it's too hard, they're not smart enough, or they just don't know where to get started. How did you get started and how did you even make this, this dream become a reality? Yeah, I think a, a lot of people, they, you know, first when I tell them I'm a pilot, the first question they ask is if I'm in the military. Hmm. And, uh, 
you know, they're shocked when I tell them that I have a, a history degree from Rutgers. But I, I think, you know, what I did, and I think what most people need to do is just go to your local airport. Um, that's what I did. I went with my with my father to the local airport, and we're looking at the, the small airplanes on a ramp. And um, at the time, it was the owner of the flight school. He came out and, hey, you know, can I help you? And my dad, oh, like, you know, my son is interested in, in airplanes and maybe learning how to fly one day. And we struck up a conversation and he ended up actually being the owner of a banner towing company, an aerial advertising company that that flew banners over the, the Jersey Shore. And he said, hey, every summer, you know, we're looking for for guys to kind of set up the banners um, so they could fly over the ocean. And for every hour you work, we'll give you a half an hour towards flight training. Um, and that was kind of all she wrote. That was I did that for two or three summers and they were by far the, the best summers of my life was setting up the banners in the field and watching the, the Pawnees and the Satabrias, you know, dive down and pick them up. It was uh, it was a blast. Yeah. That's nuts. I saw that for the first time. I think it was in Hyannis the other day, maybe it was like two weeks ago now. And I literally thought a plane was a dive bombing toward the ground. I had no idea there was a banner toast set up or anything. I just hear a plane dive bomb and I'm like, what is happening? And then see him pull up. I was like, Oh, that's what they do. That's how they do it. And then they go fly. So, slow flight until they're about to run out of fuel and come back in. And yeah. 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 It's cool. Cause it's such a, you know, rudimentary setup. I mean, you have a, a rope that's attached to the, to the tail of the airplane. They just throw a hook out there and then they, they set up the banner on there's these two metal, these two copper poles that were probably five, six feet in the air. And they had a clothesline um, clips on them and you just attach the rope and it was probably not more than six feet apart and then that's it they would just dive down and keep keep trying until they picked them up and then and uh that was it i mean it was it was pretty cool to watch it was it was a lot of fun yeah it's kind of terrifying to think of like uh it seems like a game they're trying to get as close to the ground as possible and that's never a game you want to start playing <laughs> no no and that it's funny because that was part of the deal with my mom was that she said hey you could you could learn how to fly and, and you could work there as a, as a ground guy, but you have to promise me that you won't ever actually fly the banners. Um, so that was a deal that I, I made with my mom and that I, I kept to this day. So yeah, no, no banner yeah, tone for yeah. me. I would just set them up. Yeah, no, thanks. I don't, I mean, I'm sure it's fun. <laughs> it looks fun, but it's like, I'll let you guys have that fun. I'm going to yeah, go, uh, yeah. go fly aerial survey and, uh, fly a plane that's going to have an engine failure in a couple weeks. But yeah, you can yeah, do that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny building building your time can be some of the best times of your life and some of the worst times of your life. And and when you are past that point, you will look back and you'll miss that flying. But during it, you're just trying to like, how do I get out of here ASAP? I need that money and I need that uh, that spirit money or the major airline money, right? Yeah, I mean it's funny because uh, you, you look back now, like we talked about earlier, it's you don't realize how much fun you're actually having. Cause at the time, all you're thinking about is just, you know, the hours in the logbook and you just, you just want to start, you know, I don't want to teach another student. I don't want to do another aerial survey. I just want to get out of here and go fly an RJ or go fly Airbus or citation, whatever it is. And, you know, I, I tell guys this all the time, just trust me, you'll look back one day and you will miss those, those days dearly when you're just putting around in a 172 or doing survey work or stuff like that. Um, that's, definitely one of those things where you don't appreciate it until it's gone. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Cause it's rare for, for even airline pilots that are making tons of money to get back in aviation because believe it or not, it's still expensive for them. Like they still don't want to pay that money to go up and fly a 172, a 206, 182, or even buy an airplane. That is uh, I mean, there are a decent amount that do it, but it's still, I wouldn't even, it's probably more than 50. It's probably like 70, 30 on people that still fly GA and 30% being the ones that do fly and 70% being the ones that don't fly. Yeah, and it's funny because I'll fly with guys and they'll be like, oh, no, I, you know, I, I don't want to get back in GA, single engine airplane. It's like an emergency every flight and the liability and this and that. And I'm like, you know, it's like anything else. I mean, you can get killed walking across the street. It doesn't mean you shouldn't, shouldn't have fun. So, yeah. And it's also interesting how many guys, girls, whoever it is at their dream job who kind of, fallen out of love with aviation it's more of a job for them where it's more of getting to point a to point b and it's not really like to go fly and i'm sure you experience that too just like i do maybe they've been jaded by the industry maybe these ups and downs have kind of taken the true love out of aviation but i've seen a, a lot of people who just don't love it anymore and it just it's just a job to them yeah yeah and you, you fly with these guys that are just pretty grumpy and they're just miserable at everything and it's just i mean you know, it's sad because at one point they were that little kid looking up at the airplane saying, no, oh, this is what I want to do. And now they're, you know, angry at everything and they're yelling at the, 
flight attendants. They're yelling at the gate agents. I mean, they're just just really miserable to fly with. So that's not fun. Well, they might be yelling at people for different reasons over at Spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's the only dig I'll have. I don't know anything about Spirit. I've actually heard that the the camaraderie and kind of the, the pilot group at Spirit and even between them and management, it's actually a really cool place to work. Just there always seems to be some kind of headline. If they can just get away from those headlines and kind of rebrand themselves and, and get away from that, I feel like the sky's the limit almost. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's a shame because we were actually doing a really good job of of getting our reputation kind of back to where it needed to be, and then we just had this recent call it an IT issue. It was probably a bunch of issues, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's tough. I know you know Delta had one in Easter and Southwest had it, and of course we just had it, and I feel like spirit is kind of the media's punching bag so they're going to be a little harder <laughs> on us yeah, but um sure. i mean it's frustrating for passengers so i certainly don't blame anybody that's that's angry at at spirit or you know anybody if we ruin their yeah. vacation so it's it's tough and you know the other thing too is you know a year and a half ago i don't think there was an airline pilot out there except for the real senior guys that weren't concerned about their career because we thought oh man this pandemic is going to destroy everything and then it came roaring back and it's tough because you want to be able to add as many flights as you can and grow, but it's just very hard to spool everything up. Um, you know, not only pilot and flight attendant wise, but airport infrastructure you know, wise and all that stuff. So it's been, it's been a really big challenge to go from flying, whatever it was, 150, you know, 50 flights a day, hundred flights a day to, to kind of where we are now. So, yeah, it's crazy. It's like a, a blessing and a curse at the same time. It's like, thank you so much for everyone wanting to go fly again and we can make money, but it's like, we, how do we not piss off so many people that they never want to fly with us again? Because we just can't accompany all these airplanes or all these flights, you know, it's like a very balancing act right now. <laughs> and it's almost as yeah. difficult for management at a lot of places to, to figure that out than it was to figure out the pandemic. Yeah, it's 100%. It's, uh, so it's, you know, fortunately everything seems to be back to normal for now. Uh, for us, I just got off a trip uh, late last night and, and everything was on time and people weren't angry and our cancellations, I think today were like 1% or something like that. So it looks That's like it's good. finally back on track. Good. Just avoid San Juan for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I know I had a trip that was supposed to go to San Juan and I just swapped that. I said, no, just like, in case. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Don't yeah. leave the airplane. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> but like you said, every airline kind of has that issue. And I mean, what was it, United or the, was it Republic technically that dragged one of the, the people off the airplane and they had their punching bag for a little bit. So now it's just your turn. So yeah, hopefully they'll yeah, pass. And yeah. Or ho hopefully some other airline has a meltdown so, <laughs> so they can be the media's <laughs> punching bag. But uh, yeah. you know, like you said, it's kind of funny because when the airline goes through that type of stuff on all, you know, every airline and every base has their own like WhatsApp groups and yeah. WhatsApp chats and stuff. So it gets kind of funny because I feel like the the more stuff you go through as a pilot group, the kind of closer everybody becomes. For sure. Um, so, so yeah, it's hopefully behind us. So we'll see. I've always been interested with spirit because I've always wanted to know the vibe because everyone thinks you have to go fly at a major airline. And when I say everyone, like that was kind of everyone's goal when they're coming up. And I'm not trying to say Spirit's not a major airline or kind of disrespect anyone's other job, but the, the public opinion is always like, oh, well, when are you going to go fly for United, Delta, or American? And it's kind of hard for your friends or even kind of like your, your dream when you were a flight instructor was to work for a big three or uh, do fly a big uh, overseas airplane, international wide body captain, that kind of thing. Uh, what's the overall vibe at Spirit? Is it, uh, do people want to stay? Do people look for other jobs? Is it kind of a, a mixed match? Like, what's it look like? So it's, it's interesting because it, it, everybody's different. Um, you know, when I grew, when I was coming up, I, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a, an L-1011 captain for Eastern. So obviously that's a lot different from where I am now. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's weird because you're going to have the guys that always want to fly long haul international. And obviously the spirit doesn't do that. Or do I think they're going to do that? Um, so I don't think those types will ever really be happy at spirit. Um, but as far as like the, the work group goes, I mean, you know, it's a very hands-off airline. So, you know, they, they tell you how they want you to fly the airplane. This is what they expect from you, but they don't micromanage you if that makes sense. Um, I mean, it's great. You show up to the, you show up to with a, you know, literally a brand new, you know, Airbus A320neo. I think we actually have the, the youngest fleet in the industry as far as Airbus goes. 
and you go fly around for three or four days and you visit different cities and you, you go out with the crew, get barbecue, get a beer, you know, whatever. Um, and that's it. You, you set the parking brake and then you go home. Um, nobody really ever bothers you. Uh, if you mess up, like most airlines, as long as you're honest, if you don't lie, you don't steal. I mean, you'll, you'll kind of always have a job, um, which is nice. But uh, you know, you'll fly with guys that were at DHL or they were at Pan Am and they are above and beyond grateful to be a spirit captain. And they have 10, 15 years left and they're not going anywhere and they're happy. And then you have guys that, you know, got hired in 2010 at, at an RJ job after a year and then got hired at spirit two years later. And they just kind of expect that their career progression is always going to be like that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those, some of those guys, you know, I'm going to be a FedEx captain in, in five years, or I'm going to go to Delta or, or this or that. So I think it kind of depends on a lot of people's background. Um, and kind of, if they're happy at spirit, I, when I got hired at spirit is, I think I was 30, I want to say 30 ish. Um, and I didn't really have plans to leave. And then once we were going to our contract negotiations back in 2015, and I think I was a, I was a third or fourth year Airbus captain. I think at the time my pay rate was like one thirty one an hour. And that's what, that's for an Airbus captain. And that's what like United FOs were making. So that was really kind of frustrating. Um, and then fast forward to a new contract and I, you know, I'm, my hourly right now is more money than I ever thought I'd actually make flying an airplane. So that's kind of nice. And the way I look at it is there's always going to be someone that's making more money than you. Um, for sure. I mean, I would love to have Delta triple seven captain pay. Um, but I don't know if I would ever leave spirit to go pursue that. Uh, and again, uh, you know, Atlantic city to Myrtle beach is probably about as long a flight as I want to do. Oh, well, so, that was perfect. <laughs> yeah. That works out yeah. perfect for me. It's hard to make um, the, the Delta triple seven money when you want to fly from Atlantic city to Myrtle beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, everybody's different. You know, I fly with guys that I've flown with captains. Uh, I don't think I've flown since, well, I've been a captain since our new contract, but my, the previous contract I flew with captains that left to go to Delta. Um, one that went to Southwest. So, you know, some people just, they, they want different things and I don't fault anybody for that. But, uh, you know, I've, I've, there's very few people that I've met that are truly unhappy at spirit or, um, JetBlue, as a low cost carrier, um, Southwest. I know everybody that works at Southwest, they love it. But again, they're, those guys are pretty busy. They, they work a lot. Um, they get paid really well, but that's the type of flying that I don't know if I would be happy with, but, uh, you never know. I mean, who knows? Yeah, it's one of those things. The grass isn't always greener, and money's not the most important thing. It's like, yeah, being being a Delta Triple Seven captain is like you're making more money than pilot ever thought they would. But the process of getting there is an issue. Like that's not that's like your last five years most of the time at an airline. You know, that's not like the industry norm. I would say, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy because I have friends that um that got hired at Delta, and I think at one point, two or three years ago, I think they were holding like. MD 80 or whatever is MD 88, 90 captain before they were even done with training. So, I mean, it was just, it's such a cyclical industry. It's just crazy how quickly things change. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you look at some of those, those contracts for like FedEx and, and UPS, especially. Uh, and then I guess you could say Delta's probably the pinnacle of the passenger passenger yeah. flying, but, uh, my United friends probably won't be happy that I said that, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the whole package is great. The retirement, the, the pay, the go to Paris, you know, one month and then go to India the next month. I mean, that, that, that's pretty cool. So I don't, I could definitely see that appeal to other people, but, uh, yeah. you know, you also have to be given that opportunity. I mean, if you never get hired at those airlines, you kind of don't have a choice either, you know? Yeah, you're not wrong. And, uh, that is a big issue for because Delta doesn't hire anyone. Delta can be pretty picky. Uh, I know yeah, more yep. of the pilot shortage that's coming up or that is here now. Maybe they'll start hiring more. Like I mean, more people be hiring, but they definitely hire a type of pilot. That's for sure. Yeah, they do. And and you know we kind of joke because I, I think you know Delta kind of has that. Um, every airline has their stereotypical, like you said, pilot. So it is kind of funny because you see them in the terminal. They're always, you know, dressed super sharp, super professional with their double-breasted jackets. And it's just kind of funny. And then you have, you know, my, my pilot groups, it's a, a little scrappier, but uh, you know what? Everybody's got their, their, their great 
good and bad guys and girls. So yeah, it's, you know, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about your, uh, your path to get to where you are today. So what we know so far is you always want to be a pilot. You were a banner boy. Uh, you got 30 minutes of flight instruction for every hour you worked, which probably doesn't yeah. sound like enough to pay for your private pilot license. Uh, so I'm guessing you had to do some other funding for that, but talk a little bit about, uh, flight training, the struggles you had, uh, and just kind of coming up to CFI and where, where you are now. Yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, my, my parents paid for most of my flying up until, I think it was my instrument and then to get my commercial multi it just at the rate at which my parents were willing to pay it just would have taken me forever so I, I took out some um some loans i guess they were considered student loans at the time um and i it's funny because i paid off those on my college loans not all that long ago um <laughs> but it, it, it helped me kind of get everything quicker because i feel like especially in flight training if you fly one hour every week it's kind of tough to to progress um so the flight school that I worked at, um, I worked on the, the front at the front desk, uh, like a scheduler type thing, um, receptionist, you could say. So when I got all my, I got all my ratings there and then it was kind of a, a mutual agreement where if you got your, all your ratings there and your CFI, then you could get off the desk as a quote unquote dispatcher and become a flight instructor. Um, so that's what I did. And it was nice because I, I knew the operation, uh, the flight school was owned by an American airlines captain. And this guy was like, he retired like number three at American and he lived just the epitome of airline pilot, you know, jet age, just really, really perfect timing. Um, he was a, a 300 captain for American, um, good guy. And he just kept, he ran a really, really tight, well-run flight school. Uh, the airplanes were kept in great, great shape. So it was nice because it kind of set the standard for me on what to expect from smaller flight schools and, and small airplanes and how they should be maintained. So I, I flight instructed for, I want to say it was 537 hours. It was probably a year and a half, I guess, before I got hired. Uh, my first airline job, which was uh, Colgan flying a, a Saab, <laughs> a Swedish, a Swedish twin turbo prop. And yeah. I was based out of uh, Albany and Allentown. And that was, uh, it's everyone's was dream, right? Yeah. That was, that was quite, quite the experience. Yeah. So 537 hours, like you just memorize that number. That's just you, all the horror hours you had of students trying to kill you was 537. Yeah. It's, I still keep a paper logbook, and I, you know, it's has uh, the reason why I know that number is because it has, you know, flight instructor hours as flight instructor. And once I got my CFI back in the day, it, it just, I stopped doing it once I got hired at, at Colgan. So every single page, I just kept seeing that number over <laughs> and over again. So that's why I, I remembered it. So you still log every flight you fly? Every single flight, even, you know, like this morning I went up and it was, I probably flew for, for 20 minutes and I'll put, you know, 0.3 in the logbook. Jeez. What's up? Is it just because kind of like, that's what you always did or you just like having a logbook to keep track. It's kind of like a, a diary for flying and people can look back on it and see what you did and where you did and for how long you did. What's the point? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's kind of that. And I don't, you know, I have four daughters and I don't know if, if one day, hopefully one of them will want to fly or maybe all of them will want to fly, but I, who knows, maybe one day when, when dad's gone, they'll, they'll look through the log book or maybe when I'm old and gray and can't fly anymore, I'll, I'll look through it. But, uh, I don't know. I just, I like having that, that those paper log books yeah. I have just in case. So are you like, uh, so my dad, he's 64, about to turn 65 next year, last year flying, but he still has that little red log book that he logs every single flight. Do you have one of those too? I have, I, I used to keep those, those little red, like those crew log books, but yeah. I don't, I just, I just put them in the, the big paper log, the big professional, professional unquote, pilot. Yep. Yeah. Do you bring that yeah. with you on your flights or do you wait till you get home? No, I don't. No, I, I end up looking <laughs> at like, we have an app and I just, you know, it's, yeah. I get, I, generic town number, you know, Airbus. And that's pretty much it. That's funny. I can see you pulling out, like after you land, pulling out this huge log book and be like, Oh, what's your name? Captain again? Can you sign this <laughs> yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have all my PICs or I guess you're the PIC, but I want my SICs in the, in the book. What's your name, man? <laughs> yeah, put, put my point three of instrument time yeah. in there, you know, how many clouds did we fly through? What do you think that was? <laughs> but you know, you know, what's kind of funny is I looked through my, looked at my log book the other day and I have, I, I think I have like, let's say 1600 hours of turbine PIC, but I remember, you know, coming up, you would, I mean, you would just about kill someone for an hour of multi-engine time, oh you know? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> and then, you know, and you would pay a lot of money for it. And now it's like, here you are getting paid to go fly, you know, if you want six, eight hours a day in this, you know, 880,000 pound jet. So it's just, it's funny how, how it changes. 
multi-engine time is king. If you have a way yeah. to get multi-engine time, by all means, get it as fast and as much as you can because that rules yeah. the world. Absolutely. It's insane. And then once you get the multi-engine time, they're like, well, we actually want turbo or turbine PIC time. And it's like, what? man, what the heck? I can't yeah. win. Like, I, I got you the multi-time yeah, and yeah. now you want this. It's like, make up your mind. What do you want? <laughs> Yeah, now they want glass time and all yeah. that other stuff. Like, it just feels like you can never get there. And that was like a constant thing for me is I felt like uh, when I was in my aerial survey days, it just felt like the goal was so far down the road. It was just like you felt like you were stuck in this very low paying job. Uh, you weren't going to get out of it. And there's almost no end in sight. You just saw other people living the life, living the dream. And it kind of felt like it was too far away and you, it was never going to actually happen. Yeah, I mean... It- it's, you know, it's, it's tough because it's an industry where for a profession where, you know, you're going to have to quote unquote, eat shit for a really long time <laughs> and, and not make any money. Um, and it's tough because you're doing it at an age where most of your friends are starting out as, you know, young professionals and they're starting to make money and, and buy nice cars and buy a house and get married. And you're just like, I don't even know where I'm going to get my, my next car payment from, you know? Right. So it's, it's kind of tough. And you know, I started out as an instructor and probably made, I made 15 bucks an hour, which equated to probably 12 grand for the first year. And then I got hired at Colgan, uh, thinking I was this big, bad airline pilot flying a turboprop. And that year, I think I made 16 grand. Jeez. And then, and then I was, uh, an FO at express jet for seven or eight years. And I think I topped out at like 35 bucks an hour. So I was, you know, if it wasn't for my wife, who was or girlfriend, my wife now, she was doing pharmaceutical sales. But if it wasn't for her, I'd be a 30 year old professional pilot living with my mom and dad. And it's just, you know, living in the Northeast. I mean, there's just no other way to, to make it happen. Yeah. And that is not the definition of living the dream. Right there. No, not at, no not at all. But it, it's a nightmare. It, yeah, it was a reality. And now I feel like regionals do pay enough. Like you're not going to find yourself falling into that, but you can make decent money as a regional pilot where you can live a life and kind of do what you want to do and have a little bit of spending money, which is good. But it's still, yeah. like you still have that gold dangled in front of you. We're seeing the Delta 777 captain with three boats and profit sharing that can buy him a, a rental property and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, I mean, it's insane. I had some friends tell me that, uh, I don't know if it was like last year or the year before. So whenever they re- the Delta retired the 777, I guess they had to, forget exactly how the, the guys they got typed in the a350 or whatever it was but then the a350 didn't come on property but they were like pay protected so you had some like some of these delta guys are making like 600 grand 700 grand i mean it was just insane um so it's it's kind of mind-blowing how much money there yeah. there is to be made not for everybody but you know for a certain few at the airlines it's, it's pretty wild yeah it's insane and you brought up a really good point and this was a struggle for me was um coming up in the industry, working that crappy job, the second crappy job to get to the job you actually wanted and your friends are balling out or what they think is balling out. They're making decent money for a 20 to 25 year old in that range. And like you said, buying cars and you're just like, I just need like a car payment, like any car. I can't go buy a new car. It's like, I literally have to live with my parents or have my sugar mama or sugar daddy pay for everything. If it's your husband or wife, but like it's, it's rough and it can be really tough to see that, but it's important to know that there's an, and it comes so much quicker than you think. Like, it seems like it's so far away, but there comes a point where you, you finally just like realize I did it. I'm making money. And it's really ironic because you're like, but I had more fun flying when I was broke. <laughs> it's kind of like a, yeah. a really funny thing that happens in your career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, I, I went from making those 35 bucks an hour at, at express jet and I got hired at spirit. And I think the first year was like 30 bucks an hour, which ended up being the same thing as an express FO. And then I second year pay, I'm like, Oh, this is great. You know, I can, I can afford food. And, and, and then I upgraded the captain and then we got a new contract. So in a matter of like, four years, I went from 35 bucks an hour to uh, almost 240 bucks an hour. So it just, it happens quick. Um, hopefully it continues, but, uh, it's funny because the reason, you know, uh, guys are like, Oh, you let your CFI expire. How could you do that? Blah, blah, blah. But at the time, I think it was like 80 bucks for, to renew it. And at the time I just, I really couldn't, I just didn't have 80 bucks. I mean, it's, it's pretty sad when you think about it. But I, it was either, you know, pay for gas in the, in the car or renew my CFI. Well, I have an airline job, so I'm not going to need my CFI. I'm just going to let it expire. And I did. And obviously, that was a, a huge regret. And I, I got it back two months ago. But, uh, 
that kind of goes to show how bad things were at the time where I couldn't afford to renew my CFI. So it's, it's wild. And now, you know, like you said, you know, when I was, I was probably late twenties and, and working at express jet and I, I loved the job, but it was frustrating. And I got a little bitter when I saw my friends kind of buying houses and I just, I really couldn't afford anything. Um, and the industry, as you know, it's just so cyclical and we were furloughing guys. So it's just, it's, you got to stay the course, but it is, it is tough. It's yeah. really tough. But you know, the other thing too is timing is everything. And there are guys that, uh, graduated college, flight instructed for a year, got hired at, let's say Republic for, and flew there for a year or two and then got hired at Delta. And they just, they won't ever see anything other than just, you know, crazy career progression. But you know, then I, you fly with guys that were at Eastern Pan Am DHL and they just, just got beat up to the industry. So it's just, you know, it's a, a ton of luck is involved in the industry, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's all about timing. A hundred percent. It's all about timing. And last year really showed it reminded even me. And I was had my, it was funny before this all kind of went down, my dad and I did a podcast together and we talked about how we never thought the industry would really have a true bottom. Like it has in the past. Like all we see is it just going up, up and up and up. And it's really hard to, to tell like a downturn could be very bad and where furloughs could ever happen. And then coronavirus happened. And we're both like, wow, like you yeah, really I, cannot predict this industry at all. This industry is so cyclical and you don't know what's going to cause that bottom, but there's always going to be some sort of bottom. And yeah, it's going to be a little pilot shortage coming up and it's going to be really good times, but this has just gone on to show that there's still going to be instances where you're going to have to figure it out. You're going to have to hold on for the ride and hope for the best. And whether the next one might be airlines trying to go single pilot or whatever it could be, there's always going to be some kind of hiccup in the future that could uh, affect how great. Because when this industry is great, nothing beats it. Nothing beats yeah. it. When it's yeah. bad, nothing's worse. So, I mean, there's probably a lot of things that are worse, but <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, I remember, you know, when, when COVID started uh first started to happen we were flying i mean we were flying completely empty airplanes and we'd have to call up dispatch so they could reset the weight balance and you could hear it in you know the dispatcher's voice you know the fo's voice my voice we were just so defeated and we're like this is it you know and and at the time you're like man i, I didn't realize how much i actually love my company my job you know my my position because the thought of it going away was just soul crushing and you know the airlines are tough because it's all seniority based system and you can go, you can be a 20 year Airbus captain and they don't care. You'll, you'll go right back to being a, a you know, ERJ 145 yeah. FO. I mean, that's just how it is. Your number. So man. it was, Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was, it was scary. Their number one job is to keep the airline running and paying off their investors or whoever they need to pay off. Yeah. Uh, they do yeah. not care about Joe in Atlantic city flying no. to the beach. It's like, no, sorry, bro. Yeah. Enjoy that cub. Hopefully you paid it off by now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. They do not, you know, it's all about shareholder value. Yeah. Which, yeah, it just, it's the game. It is the game. And like we said, when the good times, you're going to make a ton, a ton, a ton of money. Yeah, it's, you know, hopefully, you know, like you said, you know, you think you've seen the worst, but there's always something, always something in the future that can be a, a pretty big threat. Yeah, and it usually seems to be right when you start saying like, man, life's really good. You know, like it's finally yeah, good. Always. And then <laughs> literally the next day you're like, what the, why did I say that? It's like when you're yeah. in an airplane, you're like, what's the worst that could happen? It's like, well, surprise. <laughs> yeah. 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 Surprise. There yeah. goes your number surprise. one. Engine. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone. And your hydraulics are gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a crazy industry and it, it's a sickness almost like the, the, the love you have for it and how you need to do it and how, a lot of times pilots that don't fly, their significant others <laughs> can't be around them. You know, it's like the, people need flying to be, it's like a drug. You need it to, to keep going in life and to, to kind of have people enjoy your presence. Cause if you're not flying, there's a lot of instances where I've seen it. Even my dad and my mom's like, you need to get out and go fly. Like go leave. Yeah. <laughs> go do something. Yeah. I mean, if I, it's, I'm home a lot. I mean, I'm home an awful lot, but there's times where my wife is like, she, I can just tell she's looking at me and in the back of her mind, she's just thinking you have to get out of the house before I, <laughs> I, I stand you. So that's really funny. Yeah. Well, hey, let's take a quick break, real quick, and hear from today's sponsor, RAA. You've worked hard flying the line to get where you are today, from your early years flying in the military to building flight time any way possible to career in commercial aviation with its ups and downs, and now retirement, the biggest investment you'll ever make. At RAA, helping pilots achieve their financial dream is what they do. They're singularly focused on making sure all your hard work, dedications, and time spent away from your family and friends pays off. 
So meet with a financial advisor specializing in your airline for a free consultation at raa.com backslash pilot to pilot. That's pilot to pilot. And now back to the podcast. What's the balance like with four kids? That's crazy. Four kids. And I'm guessing they're, they're pretty young still, right? Yeah, they're, they're, uh, nine, five and I have identical twin girl. Well, they're all girls, but identical twin girls that are two and a half. Oh, wow. So it's uh surprise. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We went for the boy number three. We ended up with two girls. So, Jeez. um, <laughs> it's really, it's really, really busy. And thank God my wife is just, I mean, she is superwoman. She just, I mean, she's really unbelievable. Not only cause she's taking care of the kids all the time, but she allows me to go fly the cub every day. So yeah, she's cool. She's, she's a good one. Talk about how your values or like how you have changed through this process. Like before, I'm sure you would rank like your loves, like your wife flying uh, probably one and two. And then now you have your kids and kind of how you value your time. Uh, did you work less to be around family? Do you work the same amount? Kind of like how do you juggle the, all of having kids, having family, flying, doing all that, especially with four kids now? Like it's just shocking. It, yeah. So it's funny. You know, my wife's like, you know, you go flying all the time and, and I do. But the, the, I say it's a sacrifice, but I mean, I, you know, I'm up every day at four thirty five in the morning so I can go to the airport and I can fly and then get back to the house before the kids are up. So, you know, I try to make sure that there's obviously enough time for the family and, and cub flying and, and my wife, but I, I just, I try to do the majority of my flying early in the morning for a lot of reasons. But, you know, I would not be able, nor would I think it's appropriate for me to go flying, you know, in the middle of the day, every single day for hours on end, because that just wouldn't be fair to anybody. Um, but it's nice because, you know, it's a cub, so I can really only carry one other person. But uh, my girls do like going flying with me, so that's nice. That's fun. Um, but, yeah, I probably would have been better off with, like, a Cherokee 6 or something. But uh, Future but, goals, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm, I need the caravan with all my kids, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, you might need the EX, the big one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you know, it, what's nice too about um, Spirit, and I think some other airlines too. I'm, I'm not sh- sure how their contracts work, but I mean, you could work as little or as much as you want, and just the schedule flexibility is just really. I mean, to me, that's the most valuable thing. Is you could you could drop. You know, if there's reserve coverage, which in, in our base it usually is, I mean, you could just drop two, three weeks on end. And uh, I mean, it's, it's great to have that ability to kind of unwind a little bit and kind of detach yourself from work, especially when things are going crazy and, you know, a meltdown, so to speak, just kind of step away and just kind of relax at home. So that's nice. So you said your girls like flying with you. Do they like getting up at 430 in the morning to go fly in the cub? No. So <laughs> so it's funny. I'll, I'll go flying early in the morning and then I'll usually go again, you know, right after dinner. And that's usually when they'll come up with me yeah. when it's late afternoon flight. So does your wife like pretty well. She does. Um, she, when we first started dating, uh, her family has a beach house in ocean city, New Jersey. Oh, and cool. there's actually a little, a little airport there. Uh, and I would fly and shrug out of North Jersey. So we would take the 172 and fly it down occasionally for the weekend. So that was a lot of fun. But, um, it kind of sounds morbid, but we try not to fly to, together yeah, too often now, just in case something happens. I get it. Yeah. And so those other things you got to start thinking about when you have kids, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. if we should do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's awful to think about, but like you said, it's flying. I know. Uh, there are inherent risks to flying every day you go up and you, yeah, it's unfortunate part of our industry and it happens and you don't ever know what's going to happen to. Yeah, no. And that's like, you know, the, the recent, crash with uh snodgrass i mean you know if somebody like that that's got six thousand hours in an f-14 and it's just a decorated pilot if something like that could happen to him i mean it could happen to anybody so it's you know it's it's scary so i flew freight at it was called priority air charter it was based at northeast ohio uh, it was a family-run place. They have their own private airport up in pretty much Amish town, Ohio. Like it is literally surrounded by the Amish. It's the craziest thing. Uh, Amish kids are walking on the runway. You click the runway lights and they like run off and then they just watch this like <laughs> magical thing come in and land and it, it's wild. But anyways, that company in Basler up in Oshkosh, they are the two companies that are buying up all the DC-3s and converting them into PT-6s. Um, 
and the owner, the there's three brothers that owned it and one died of cancer and the other one died in a DC three crash at the airport a couple of years ago. But the one that died in the crash, he had so much time in a DC three. He was a great pilot. He flew the DC three in Africa for Samaritan's purse. And he would do a lot of cool stuff over in Africa and has done anything and everything. And he's the person you would want in the airplane of everything, if anything ever happened. And unfortunately something did happen and they succumbed to it. And it's just like, <laughs> It's just the situation. Like that doesn't mean he's a bad pilot. It was just the situation that happened and it's just aviation to unfortunate coming out. I don't know whether I would say it's just, it's crazy. Like you never know when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen or, but it doesn't mean they're a bad pilot or made bad decisions. It's just this terrible situation they were dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, you try to make sure you don't put yourself in a bad position, you know, make sure you like even like stupid little things like, ah, should I take off from intersection departure? Use the full runway, stuff yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just, you never know. I mean, you yeah. really never, there's a really good book. Uh, fate is the hunter. Yeah. Which is a, uh, and it's, and it's, you know, it's one of those things you just never know. Well, what's crazy is I had a side engine failure in a 206 and we landed in the mountains of West Virginia and I still have superstitions that I will not take into any plane. So it's like that day. I remember I had cold pizza in my bag and it was like my snack to eat in the plane and I will never fly with pizza on an airplane ever again. And I know it's really stupid, but it's just but like, it's, yeah, it's just like in the back of my mind or it's just a superstition that I have where it's just like, I don't feel comfortable having cold pizza on an airplane, which is absolutely yeah. ridiculous, but it's just kind of how I am now. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense though. Yeah. That's the thing. It's wild. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. All right, um, going back to kind of uh, your story. So Spirit, you... Well, I guess what I wanted to say was you've kind of jumped around, not like a bad thing, but you moved on to, to bigger or better opportunities. Whenever the opportunity, it sounds like, came up to have a better job, you weren't afraid to do it. There are a lot of people that go to a job and they stay there for a while. And whether it's good or bad, you, know, you never know, like some jobs are great, but they don't take the risk to move on for the greater goal. What do you say to someone that maybe is at um, a regional and it's just like, well, you know, I'm a captain here, I'm making decent money. I don't know if American will ever call me or like they're not taking that next step. What do you say to someone since you yourself has, had, has had the experience of taking those next steps to get to the job you've always wanted? Yeah, it's kind of those, we had a bunch of those guys that we call me the, the golden handcuffs yeah. um, because they were making pretty good money on a good schedule. But as far as the airlines go, I mean, it, if you're not selling your own tickets, I think it's a really, really risky thing to kind of hang your hat there. Um, I think any fee for departure airline and some work out better than others, like SkyWest seems like it'll be around forever. Um, but look at Comair. Comair you thought would be around forever too. And I think, you know, it's, I, it was, I was, it was unfortunate, but I was also fortunate in that I wasn't making any money. So it was very easy for me to just say, Hey, I'm going to go pursue other airlines. Um, but I think the biggest thing, and, and you see it with a whole bunch of different airline pilots or guys that are making a lot of money. It's, it's kind of, you want to put yourself in a position to where you're, you're saving enough money to where if you need to make a jump, whether it's lateral or even if it seems like a step backwards, um, to where you can live off of your savings for a little bit because you have guys that have, you know, car payment, ex-wife, a boat, and they just, they're making 350 grand a year and they still have no money. So yeah. that's, you know, it's not what you make, it's what you spend. So I think on, until you're at a, your final destination, which you never really know what that'll be, but if it's the airlines and it's, it's a legacy airline, I mean, you really got to make sure you're saving up as much money as you can until you get to that spot. And even if you do get to that spot, I mean, there was guys that had just gotten to United and then COVID happened and then they got stuck around a year or so making way less than minimum guarantee. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's one of those things you just, you gotta, you know, the, the end justifies the means and you, if you want to be an airline pilot, you should really try to make the jump to a, an airline that sells its own tickets. Yeah. Cause I, everything that I've seen, I mean, that's really the only way to, to have a somewhat secure career even like that goes with like time building. So a lot of times I always tell people, and this might sound bad, but you don't owe the people where you are anything. It's like they are using, they hired you to, to, to fly an airplane and they are making money off you in that way. It's like, don't let them pressure you into thinking that you have to stay there. And that can happen a lot. And it's very real because they don't want to lose anyone and have to go through the retraining business, but you need to keep taking that next step. It's like, yeah, being a chief pilot at this really small 135 might be, might be fun, but like, 
you need to try to keep going, whether it's to, to go to a, a great fractional like I'm at or whether it's to go to, to Spirit and then eventually an airline or to stay at Spirit. Like you need to, to, you don't owe that certain carrier anything and you need to unfortunately look out for yourself. Yeah, I remember when I was flying with the captain at Express and I mentioned to him that I got hired at Spirit. And he's like, oh, you're crazy. You're a couple months away from upgrade. You want to get your thousand hours of turbo PIC. And for, to me, I mean, I thought he was out of his mind, um, <laughs> but he, I mean, he, he really, he thought I was, he thought I was crazy for leaving to go to spirit. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, now I'm a, a eight, eight year captain at spirit. And I think he, the last time I heard was like, a, um, what do you call it? It's like a, it's not an Uber driver for groceries, but it's one of those things, oh, and it, you know? Yeah. So, and I'm sure he'll bounce back, you know, he'll get up on his feet and get another airline yeah. job. But I mean, clearly, you know, staying at, at express jet wasn't, wasn't the right, right thing yeah. to do. So, yeah, and it's one awful. of those things in the, in the, as a professional pilot, you know, everybody asks if you're making the right move and they're like, oh, I'll let you know on the day that I retire. I mean, it's very hard to, to predict in this industry if, if you made the right move. Yeah. It's like people that are leaving regionals to go to, what is it? Breeze airways. It's like, yeah. In 30 years, if Breeze becomes what JetBlue was, you probably made a great decision. But the chances of that actually happening might be relatively slim. But I mean, it's if it's worth the risk to you and your family, then by all means, go for it. People are going to judge yeah. you. We have so many Monday morning quarterbacks, uh, even in my career. I mean, I know I played football, but like outside of that, it was going where I was and people were like, why aren't you going to a regional? Why aren't you going to the major route? It's like, I this is what I think would be the best for my career and my family. And if that's the yeah. decision that you make at the end of the day, it's kind of like you with spirit. This is the best right now for you and your family. So you will be happy there and you don't have to worry yeah, about what other I mean, people say. Yeah. I mean, you could, it, you know, spirit could end up like sky boss, right. But it, yeah. it could end up like Southwest or could stay the same. But I mean, I, I'd rather regret doing something than regret not doing something. So, you know, We'll see. Well, to that, to, if we're going to play that game, it's like, well, cool. Uh, American could be in the next TWA. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. or PSA. You, you don't know. Like, we literally have yeah. no idea what this industry will look like in 10 years from now. Yeah. Yep. It's a good Especially point. with supersonic jets possibly coming or whatever the future might look like. like uh, the aviation could, you never know what the future holds. So just buckle up, hold on tight, and make the best decision for you and your family and your loved ones. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about, um, I love your social media. Your pictures are unbelievable. And oh, thanks, man. I, thanks. I made fun of your name a little bit in the first time we did, but it's bananas with multiple <laughs> S's. <laughs> All right. Nine to be exact. Nine S's. And we talked about how you just had to have the name bananas and that's how many S's it took to get it, right? That is correct. Yeah. yeah. I don't even, I don't, I don't know why I originally came up with bananas. I, I really don't because it was so long ago when I started the Instagram and then I kind of was off it for a really long time. Then I signed back on and I'm like, well, I guess this is my, this is my name. It is what it is. <laughs> but, uh, it works out because I guess bananas are yellow and the cub is yellow and yeah. the spirit's yellow. So it kind of just makes sense now. It's perfect. It was like, it was meant to be, it was like when you made this Instagram account, it was going to like, <laughs> <laughs> it predicted your whole future. <laughs> Little did you yeah. know. <laughs> But your videos are sick, man. Like I'm watching one right now and it, you just look like you're having so much fun. The colors on it are great. Like you're just truly loving aviation and I love to see it. Yeah. I mean, it really, it's just something about, you know, maybe it's because what we do professionally is just so structured and there's so many, you know, you, you have to do, you have to fly the airplane how they want you to fly it. And you have to do this checklist and you got to call for pushback and the passengers and all, all these sophisticated systems. And then you look at the cub wherever you got to hand prop it. There's no electronics. It's just pure stick and rudder and grass strips. I mean, it's, it's really so much fun. And it's like we talked about earlier, you know, aviation's like drugs. I mean, this flying the cub is literally, it's like, it's meditative. It's therapeutic. I mean, it's, it's awesome. I'm look. I'm just like blown away by some of your camera angles too. It's the slow motion of the tire meeting the grass. Like that's that's so cool. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where like did that. you I'm even? Like how'd you mount that? It's mounted on like a strut, and it has like a little carbon fiber pole that comes down. But it's you know I'm glad that I do all this stuff early in the morning because otherwise people would probably be like, "What is this idiot doing, taxing <laughs> around with these these things hanging off his airplane?" You know. Yeah. This guy thinks he's a social media star. Look yeah, at, yeah. Look at yeah. this idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look at this idiot. Yeah. No, yeah, it's good to get out early in the morning for that. Yeah, but these are sick, man. And your hangar looks so cool. And I guess one question is, why the Cub? What was your what was the uh, kind of inspiration for a Cub? There's so many airplanes you could buy in that that um that price range. What was the Cub? Just like true aviation, like bare bones, real hand flying or was there yeah, any kind to, of to, to me it, it 
to me, it's like the epitome of uh, a throwback to that, you know, golden age of aviation when everything was just starting out. Uh, you know, I mean, think about the thousands of World War II pilots that learned how to fly in a Cub. Um, to me, I just, you know, I, I think about aviation and I, I think about the Cub and I, I don't know how people just can't get romantic about it, but, you know, thinking about the, the barnstormers of past. And I think the Cub just kind of kind of fits that image. And it's a, you know, inexpensive airplane to own and operate. And it's just, it's a blast to fly. It's super forgiving. I mean, it, it's really slow. So that, that's kind of tough, but uh, you know, I don't mind. <laughs> it's, when you're going to get that a uh, hundred dollar hamburger and all the cars are passing you and you could have definitely driven faster. Yeah. It's like, dang it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's tough, but you get but, to go fast in your, your little Airbus. So it works yeah, out, right? Yeah. So it, it, it balances out. Yeah. Uh, do you see a future like faster plane ownership in your future? Or are you kind of a cub guy for life? No, I think, I think I'm a cub guy for life. I don't, um, you know, the idea of, of getting in an airplane with my whole family and, and going somewhere and filing IFR. I mean, that's not appealing to me at all. Um, I mean, like when I say not at all, I mean, I would avoid that at all costs. Uh, so yeah, I mean, because I feel like I'm at work, but, yeah. um, a super cub would be really fun. I have a couple hours in a super cub where I got my tail endorsement up in uh, Airflex Andover. He, uh, Damien, he's got a, a super cub, but it's a pretty high, highly modified one. And it was the most fun I've ever had in an airplane. Cause it could just do whatever you, you wanted it to do. Um, but it's also, you know, probably five times the price of my cub. So yeah, it's, it's insane. You're paying, you're yeah. paying for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, this is crazy, man. It's great. And I think it really kind of embodies the love of aviation and just bare bones flying and just having fun. Uh, we were talking about this earlier. I think we might've been off the podcast, but unfortunately your, your airport's actually closing soon. Am I correct? Yeah. So the airport, it's been rumored to close for a really long time, but now the, the zoning has officially been approved. So they want to turn it into uh, affordable housing or part of the development is going to be affordable housing. So, I mean, that's going to be really tough because the airport's been around since the fifties. Um, you know, it is privately owned, so he, he can do whatever he wants with it. You know, I get it, but it's just, it's frustrating and sad because there's number one, it's a, it's a great little airport, but it's also the home to 50 hangars, uh, of course, which one of which is mine. Um, and it's incredibly hard to find hangar space in New Jersey, but even more than that is, I mean, every weekend we're out there, you know, whether it's barbecuing or just talking to each other or hangar flying. So that's kind of tough because these are people that, you know, I met two, three years ago, but now I consider them friends for life. Yeah. So it'll be tough when the airport does close and our guys are going to sell their airplanes. Are they going to move into a different airport? So that's, you know, that, that'll be kind of sad, but hopefully we can all figure something out to where they could maybe potentially possibly probably not build more hangars at another local airport. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where I, I stressed about it for so long that at this point I just gotta, you know, kind of just throw your hands up. Happens. Not much you can do. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just it's kind of the industry exactly. as a whole. It's just kind of like, exactly you, can't affect, right. you can't, you just got to worry about what you can affect and take one blow as it comes. And exactly. <laughs> take it day yep. by day. Yeah. You'll still but have your yellow airplane, yellow airplane to go fly and have fun in. Just might have to do it somewhere else. Yeah, and there's a there's a local airstrip. Um, it's a privately owned grass strip. It's like a sixth generation farmer. Uh, he's a really really great guy. He owns a couple of Cubs, a couple of Steermans, and he you know is willing to make some room for me. So that that that'd be nice. Uh, I have no problem going to a grass strip. It'd be sad if I can't find my you know my hangar mate has a Mooney, so he obviously won't be keeping his airplane there. But yeah. um, you know, we'll see what happens. Aviation is kind of a really small, tight knit circle. So even if guys move to airports far away, I mean, like you said, there's social media and we can have fly-ins and meetups. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I got a couple rapid fire questions for you. So this is just going to be quick answers on your part, just aviation related. You say the first thing that comes to your mind. All right. Yep. All right. Well, the first one, this is kind of a new one. So it might be a little longer, but it is, what is the most terrified you've ever been in an air, in an airplane? Um, I, or I guess rap or somewhat rapid decompression at, uh, at express jet probably 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. How'd you realize that was going on? Was it pretty easy to tell or was it one of the slow, slowly came on or was it just like, boom? 
so I was the FO at the time and uh, the captain, just all I heard him say was get your mask on. <laughs> I had, I had no idea what was going on. So we got my mask on and then we saw the pressurization climbing and we got the cabin, cabin, cabin. But the worst part was that we were just, we were flying into Newark and we had to descend obviously, but we were descending into some pretty horrendous weather. So that was, I mean, that was, that was bad. It ended up being a, like a stuck outflow valve or something, yeah. but that was probably the, the most scared I've been in an airplane. Yeah, I don't want to say I've been there before, but I've been there before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Descending yeah. through the worst weather you could ever imagine, too. It's like, are you freaking kidding me? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, can we just have one emergency, please? I don't need yeah, tornadoes yeah, exactly. right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, here we go. Here are the true rapid-fire questions. What's your favorite airplane ever made? Uh, J3. What's your favorite airliner? It doesn't have to be the one you fly. Just like one you've always looked up to, the L-1011 or whatever, like... What's your favorite? Uh, seven, seven, 757. What is your favorite corporate jet? Uh, Global Express. What is, really? Wow. You're one of the first people that I've ever said the Global. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Most people just say Gulfstream. It's like when you think people, yeah. that, especially the airline pilot where they have no idea about anything in general and <laughs> corporate plans, yeah. they're just like uh, Gulfstream. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here is uh, one that can be controversial. And if you say the wrong answer, I'm going to have to delete everything we just talked about. Again, <laughs> what is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Oh, I don't, I forget the name of it, but it's, I think it's an Aronka. It looks like a bathtub. Oh, what? You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Kind of. I'll have to look that I one up. The, yeah, I'll, I'll send you. It's, it's hideous looking. It looks like a, a little bathtub. <laughs> a flying bathtub. Who knew that's what we needed? Yeah. Yeah. What is something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Oh, um, how much money it would cost? <laughs> What's something you, oh yeah, I just asked that. No. Who in the industry would you like to meet most? It could be alive or they could have passed on. Uh, Frank Lorenzo. I do not know who that is. So maybe he, he was a, he's a pretty horrible human being. He was a brand continental basically into the ground and Eastern, oh. I think the bankruptcy. Yeah. So it's, so why do you want to meet him? <laughs> I, I don't just, you know, I just kind of, I guess pick his brain. He's yeah. a, He's kind of a, a horrible human being, so I think it'd be interesting to. Think Why are you the way you are? Family, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Family. yeah, say family. Yeah. Oh no, I meant like, you, would you want to ask him that question? Why are you the way you are? Why did oh, you run? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I yeah. want to ask him. Yeah. All right. Here's another. What's your overall one thing, favorite thing about aviation? Uh, freedom it gives you. Yeah. Hardest approach you ever flown. Uh, well, probably Bogota or Guatemala. What's the best thing about owning a J3 Cub? Simplicity of it. What's the worst thing? Slow. What is your least favorite approach? Uh, so, uh easy. San Jose, Costa Rica. <laughs> What's the best day you've ever had an airplane? Uh, you know what? The day that I took my dad up in the, in my Cub when I bought it. What's your favorite airport to land at? Uh. Probably Allen's Little Grass Strip, which is right a little local airport. Least favorite airport? Probably Newark LaGuardia. <laughs> what is your favorite airport food? Five, five guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, there, well, you know what? There used to be there used to be a place called uh, uh, in Cleveland. There was a really good sandwich place, Banjos. It was called Banjos, and that was probably the greatest airport food ever. And it's gone. It's gone. R.I.P. Banjos. Yeah. IFR or VFR? VFR. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or the city? Uh, mountains. Airbus or Boeing? Airbus. Favorite airline livery? Probably the old Delta widget one. <laughs> Don't want a lot of your Delta friends are going to be really mad at you. <laughs> yeah. Would you rather fly as many or the longest trip you could possibly fly in your Airbus or as many short legs as possible in an Airbus? Short legs as possible. Hardest check ride you've ever had? Um, this initial sob check ride. What's the biggest win of your career? Um, I guess passing upgrade on the Airbus, probably. Biggest regret of your career? Maybe not taking it as seriously as I should have when I was younger and tried to, should have got hired by a regional probably sooner than I did, maybe. All right. You are deadheading to your Airbus. Would you rather deadhead on a CRJ or an ERJ? And to make it more fair... We're going to go the CRJ 200 or the Embraer 145. 
the ERJ hands down because the the windows on the CRJ are just you have to. I mean, I'm short, but you have to almost be like three foot tall to comfortably see out the window of a CRJ. Yeah. What's your favorite airline to uh, fly on airline? as a passenger? Uh, to fly on as a passenger, probably JetBlue. And last but not least, if you could do it all over again, would you do 141 training or 61? Um, 61. Joe, those are, well, I have one more question, but those are pretty much all the questions. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. I'm sorry that I had to re-record half this interview with you, but here we are and it was still good. Uh, but my last question for you is going to be, someone's listening to this, they love everything you're saying. What is three tips you would give to someone coming up in this industry right now? They're just starting flight school or maybe they're just becoming a CFI. Just what are three tips into to blazing their path into becoming a professional pilot? Uh, probably number one, don't give up. Uh, number two, uh, listen to as many people, whoever wants to give you advice, listen to it. And uh, number three would be, uh, hmm. I guess save a lot of money. I guess save a lot of money <laughs> for the bad times. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. For the bad times for sure. And you mentioned this before. Don't be a jerk. Yeah. That, you know what? That's important because the, the guy that is pulling your gear one day could be the, the guy that you're pulling gear for one day or the guy that's on the interview board at your next <laughs> yeah. airline. So yeah, that's, like, that's very, Joe, that's key. look who it is. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Not good. So yeah. Well, Joe, thanks for so much. Wow. Can't talk. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for putting up with the technical difficulties and sharing your story. Um, I hope everyone goes to follow you bananas with nine S's don't put 10 or eight. It's nine, uh, but it's a a great account and you just truly love aviation. So it's great to see, but man, I hope you're having a great day and this is coming out tomorrow. So it's a fast turn. So, uh, it's gonna be fun and I can't wait for people to listen to your story. Cool, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Thanks, man. Hope you have a great day. AV Nation, that is a wrap of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Shout out to the sponsors, Garmin Aviation, RAA, Learn the Finer Points, and AOPA. It's awesome to have such great companies that believe in the podcast and believe in Pilot the Pilot. I hope you guys all enjoyed this podcast. And as always, happy flying.